Hey, welcome to another Coaching You podcast with the coach Brendan Sir, and I am so excited. You know, since we've been doing these five, six years and uh, forever, I've been trying to get our guest, Fred Hoiberg, the head coach at the University of Nebraska, as our guest. Fred, welcome, my friend. Thanks, Brendan. Great, great to be with you. You know, you know, the last time I saw you during the Big Ten conference, you didn't look real good. Talk yeah, no, a lot of yeah, coaches are like that normally, but you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that was it, kind of my normal look this year in front of them. But yeah, it was, uh, it was, yeah, it was a crazy night, you know, really surreal. I, uh, didn't feel great, uh, heading over to the arena. Um, and, you know, talking to our trainer, uh, we felt the right thing to do would be to see the onsite medical doctor and went in there and did a battery test. He checked my vitals. Uh, everything was normal. Uh, he listened to my lungs. And, you know, at that time, you know, it, it, there obviously wasn't near the information that is out about this horrible virus uh, as there is right now. So, you know, what I had kind of seen and, you know, just really in passing, you know, how how caught up we get and everything going on. And I was just trying to finish off the season, you know, getting our guys to go out there and compete. And, uh, but, you know, we did feel it was appropriate to go see the doctor. And after he checked my vitals and listened to my lungs, he came back and took me uh, across the street, actually did an x-ray of my lungs and it was perfectly clear. So he cleared me and said, you're fine uh, to go out there and coach. So, so I did. And, you know, went out there and, you know, I felt okay. And I think the biggest thing was, you know, there was a clip that kind of went viral of me with my head in my hands. Uh, and, uh, you know, from there, uh, a Big Ten official came out of the stands and told me that I had to leave the floor. And I, you know, I guess I said, why? I said, why? I said, you know, I, I, I'm doing fine. He said, no, this is non-negotiable. You need to leave the floor. So, you know, I didn't argue. I said, okay. And I handed my clipboard to Doc Sadler and walked off the floor. And, and that's where uh, they took me to the hospital and, and tested me uh, for the, uh, for the virus. Uh, they also did a flu test on me. And I heard a couple hours back uh, when we got the flu result back that I was diagnosed with influenza A, which is still very serious. Uh, but I was, you know, and they told me this, you should be relieved because this basically means you don't have COVID. There was still a very small chance, but then when we got those results back, you know, thankfully that test was negative, but, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was really a a crazy situation when I went back and I got back to my hotel, uh, and, uh, you know, just to turn on the news and then, you know, that's really when the day when everything started getting canceled it was when Gobert uh Rudy Gobert tested positive with Utah and then Donovan Mitchell shortly thereafter uh and they started canceling the games I think the only tournament that went on the next day was was the Big East and they right. played the half game and then they ended up canceling that tournament but you know I, I've said this before Brendan it, you know if I would have known then what I know now you know I, I wouldn't have coached but you know there was it was still you know, with the information, uh, you know, a lot of that was, was, was new, at least to me, because, uh, you know, I was trying to prepare my team, uh, you know, to hopefully give ourselves a chance to go out there and compete in that game against Indiana. But uh, looking back at it, yeah, I can absolutely see, uh, you know, why there was so much concern. Uh, but, you know, I felt I did the right thing by going and seeing a medical doctor who ultimately cleared me to coach. So, yeah, it was a crazy thing, but, uh, you know, glad it's behind us. And, you know, as I'm sure everybody right now, uh, you know, the, the people that are on the front lines of this thing, you know, just want to offer our thoughts and prayers to everybody that, first of all, is going through this, that has been affected uh, by the virus, but also, uh, you know, give our best to everybody that's fighting this thing and trying to keep people safe. That's a great message, Fred. Uh, at Nebraska, <clears throat> where you're the head coach now, as we talked uh, before we started, uh, 
things are different than at other schools. Your son, of course, plays at Michigan State. And, you know, talk about that as far as when they closed down and then your guys literally closing down yesterday. Yeah, they, they uh, several universities uh, obviously had shut down, um, you know, weeks, weeks ago. And, uh, you know, our son, Jack, uh, who was at Michigan State, uh, he came home as soon as they shut things down and, and went to online and, and shut their facilities down. Uh, they completely shut down the university. They had gone online at Nebraska, like I think they've pretty much done across the country now. Uh, but they went to a complete shutdown uh, of the university and all the facilities yesterday. So our players, uh, they all went home, um, you know, two, probably two and a half weeks ago. And, you know, we're trying to do like everybody else right now, just do the best that we can uh, through these tough times. And we're doing a lot of Zoom calls with the players and we're doing, uh, you know, sending them workouts, uh, you know, just trying to keep things fresh for them so they can keep in some uh, type of shape uh, for when they do end up getting back here ultimately when this thing is over. But, uh, you know, the biggest message that we have for our players is make sure you're following the guidelines and, you know, they're, they're doing the right things as far as, as social distancing and, you know, making sure, uh, you know, they're staying, uh, you know, washing their hands and doing that type of thing and, and following, uh, you know, what the guidelines are, uh, because that's the most important thing right now to try to get this thing behind us. What was it like, um, you know, coming from, you know, you, you grew up in Ames, you know, you know, your mom and dad there, you know, all your kids born there, you literally lived, you know, blocks from the arena and campus and everything. You went there. What was it like then all of a sudden to come and coach at a different school? Well, I was, we have a lot of ties uh, to the state of Nebraska and to the university of Nebraska. I was actually born in Lincoln. Uh, my older brother was born in Lincoln and then our, my younger brother was, was born in Ames. But uh, both of my parents uh, went to the University of Nebraska. My dad got his Ph.D. at Nebraska back in 1974, and he actually had two job offers. I, I was two years old at the time. One of those <laughs> offers was in Lawrence, Kansas, and uh, one was in Ames, Iowa. And I've always said this. I'm thankful that my dad took the right job uh, and, and moved the family to Ames. But, you know, this uh, our, our ties go go way back. Both of my grandfather's. Uh, my grandpa Hoiberg was a sociology professor at Nebraska for over 30 years. And then my grandpa Bush uh, on my mother's side was the head basketball coach here uh, at Nebraska for nine seasons and has arguably the greatest win in the history of the program. They knocked off Will Chamberlain's Kansas team uh, back in 1958. So uh, it, I grew up a lot. Uh, holidays coming to uh, Lincoln and, and coming back here. I will always consider Ames my home. Just that's that's, that's where neat. I grew up. That's where I met my wife. Uh, you know, it's where our, our kids, we had five great years there, um, and, you know, four of the best years of our life, uh, when I played at Iowa state, but, you know, those five years coaching, I'm, you know, forever grateful to Jamie Pollard, the athletic director at Iowa state, who got me in, uh, to this crazy profession when he <laughs> hired me, uh, without any experience coming from the front office, uh, with the Minnesota Timberwolves after I retired, after, after, uh, was kind of forced in retirement with a heart condition. So, um, you know, it's uh, the first year in Nebraska, you know, we, we took over a situation where, you know, we, we had, uh, one player that had played and he averaged two points the year before, uh, you know, so we really did take over a rebuilding situation. I thought Tim Miles did some really good things in his, uh, tenure here at Nebraska, but, 
you know, we did take over a rebuilding situation and they lost some really high quality players that are, you know, playing professional basketball right now. But, uh, you know, year one, you know, when you take over, it's all about laying the foundation and, and trying to get things in place and establishing a style of play, which we did, where we had the 16th fastest pace uh, in the country, t- uh, top three in power five schools. And uh, we were first in possession length. So, you know, we did establish some things, you know, that we're excited about for our future. And we feel that we've got a really good recruiting class, you know, which hopefully will get signed up here uh, next week. And we had three sit out transfers. Uh, that will really help us uh, next season as we go into year two. The hardest thing when you go into a program both at Iowa State and at Nebraska is establishing that identity that you want to play with. How do you go about that? Yeah, it's just, you know, for us, we felt it was uh, it gives us the best chance for long-term success. So we wanted to implement the system uh, as well as we could in year one. And, you know, we had, uh, you know, a very, from a win-loss standpoint, it was a very tough season. Sure. Um, you know, we had a couple of really good wins over Purdue and Iowa early uh, in the Big Ten conference schedule. Uh, but, you know, from a win-loss standpoint, obviously it was a very difficult uh, season for us. But, uh, again, when you look at everything that we are trying to put in place and the roster that we are going to be able to put on the floor, we should be able to make uh, a significant jump. Uh, next season and in, in, in the following season as well. You know, it's pretty similar, actually, uh, Brendan, to what I took over at Iowa State. And, uh, you know, the first year when I went in, you know, the one difference is I had, a you know, Deontay Garrett, who ended up playing in the NBA, was a great point guard uh, for us. Jamie Vanderbeeken came back, who was fourth as a seven-footer in the league and three-pointers made in the Big 12. Uh, and a couple other pretty key pieces that were back. And, uh, you know, the thing that the way that we really built that at Iowa State was with transfers. And that first season, uh, we had Royce White uh, sitting out. We had Chris Babb uh, sitting out. We had Chris Allen and Anthony Booker. Uh, you know, two of the guys ended up playing in the NBA and Royce uh, in Babb. And then two guys uh, ended up playing overseas, those other two, Allen and Booker. So, uh, you know, what I saw every day in practice was, you know, a team uh, that was first of all, those four guys were building chemistry together on the scout team. And when we went and played in the road, they would stay back and watch those games together. Uh, and I could see how big of a jump we could make in year two. Uh, that first year we went 16 and 16. And then uh, we went on to go to four NCAA tournaments and, and won two Big 12 conference championships. So, uh, you know, I kind of see a similar type thing. Uh, you know, at Nebraska to where we took over, had three high-level transfers sitting out, Delano Banton, uh, Shamil Stevenson, Derek Walker. And then, like I said, the recruiting class, we can't talk about it yet until, uh, you know, they're officially signed. But, you know, we hope to add some really key pieces uh, as well uh, starting next week. Talk about talk about when you were at Iowa State, you know, you were really, you know, from a collegiate standpoint, uh, people, people felt, you know, the offensive – concepts and things you were you know doing there were so you know advanced and everything like that you were playing a style of play that a lot of the college teams didn't uh i saw them as you know you were using a lot of really neat offensive concepts from the nba how did that all come together for you in wanting to create that style of play well, it, it's really what I knew, and yeah. I was just coming from 15 years uh, in the NBA, 10 as a player, and then, uh, you know, one year after my heart surgery, I kind of uh, was in transition and then, you know, got a great opportunity with the Timberwolves to move in uh, to the front office where ultimately my last year I was the vice president of basketball operations. And, uh, you know, I, I really 
you know, went back on all the, first of all, the coaches I played for. And I played for some great ones, uh, you know, in college. I had Johnny Orr for three years, you know, legendary, larger-than-life figure in in, in the, in the uh, Ames community. Uh, and then Tim Floyd came in uh, my senior year. It was very contrasting styles. And, yeah. you know, I think playing for both those guys really helped uh, develop me as a player to get me, uh, you know, to have a chance to play at the highest level. And then, you know, 10 years in the league where I had Larry Brown, uh, my first two years and then Larry Bird again, very different styles, both very successful. Uh, but you know, took bits and pieces from each of those guys, uh, went back to play for Tim Floyd in Chicago and Bill Cartwright. And then in Minnesota, uh, to be able to play for Flip Saunders, uh, and for Kevin McHale and, you know, just really took, uh, things that I learned from those, uh, outstanding coaches, some hall of fame coaches, some hall of fame players, and, uh, you know, really tried to apply that to how, one, I managed the team uh, into the style that I played. And, you know, when I when I did get the opportunity to go back to Iowa State, uh, you know, we really did run an NBA system. But we played it a little different each year where some programs, you know, regardless of their personnel, they're going to run the same type of system. Uh, you know, when I had Deontay Garrett at the point, we ran a pretty traditional offense. But then when I had Royce White that next year, we put the ball in his hands, ran a five out offense which you see a lot now especially yeah. uh in the nba uh you know but royce was so dynamic he was about six eight 270 pounds and he was a freight train coming down the floor and if he drew help he was such a gifted passer and he could deliver the on time on target pass and we just put shooting around him and then we continued that on with george niang who's having a great career uh right now a key piece for the uh utah jazz uh, and again, put him at the top of the floor and then you draw that big away from the basket. When those bigs, you put them in a position to what they're not used to guarding. Uh, you know, I think it makes it uh, tough on them. So, you know, ultimately that's the style that I want to play and the personnel that we, we want to get in here, uh, to where you have skill all over the court. You know, my best teams at Iowa state were Niang at the five at about, you know, six, seven, but then I had a great rebounder and a big 12 player of the year in Melvin Edgem at the four right. and I had a great rebounder in Dustin Hogue at the three and I had a great rebounder at the point, DeAndre Kane. So I had guys that could make up uh, for some of those things. But, you know, the, the important thing was to put a, a group of guys on the floor to where you have to guard everybody. And, you know, not only could they make a shot, but they could all make plays. And, you know, you saw Matt, Matt Thomas, what he's doing now with the Raptors leading the league in three point shooting and Naz Long, uh, you know, who's been terrific. Uh, as well. So, you know, it was just all about trying to get the right people to fit the style uh, ultimately that we wanted to play. But again, you, you know, my biggest thing is I tried to tweak the offense based on the personnel to put those guys in a position where you could utilize their strengths. After this timeout, we're going to come back with Coach Fred Hoiberg. Fast Model Sports is the world's most comprehensive, versatile basketball coaching software to help power your preparation. Fast Model has developed the industry's best coaching software, including the number one play diagramming and playbook software, FastDraw. FastDraw bridges the gap between whiteboarding and the digital world with an incredibly easy-to-use interface that can be used on both your computer and iPad to providing maximum portability for your own personal play and drill database. It doesn't stop there. Along with FastDraw, they have other great programs such as Fast Scout which helps coaches create clean, professional scouting reports customized for your team. Fast Model is trusted and used by all NBA and WNBA teams, 85% of Division I college teams, and over 8,000 high school and youth teams from over 75 countries around the world. In addition to a great product, 
They also provide basketball coaching resources through their blog and playbank, which features over 5,000 free plays and drills on their online coaching community. For access to these plays and more information, visit FastModelSports.com or follow them on Twitter at FastModel. Let's take a second to tell you about one of our partners, Dr. Dish. Dr. Dish basketball shooting machines are the most high-tech and durable basketball shooting machines on the market. Each shooting machine was designed specifically for high-repetition training to allow players to improve through technology. Dr. Dish offers game-like training to give hundreds of shooting reps in just minutes and provide powerful analytics to help players improve their game. Dr. Dish has also introduced Skill Builder, which is the first of its kind in the basketball shooting machine industry that enables players and coaches to stay connected, design and upload training exercises, and instantly receive feedback on their workout, allowing for real-time adjustments and improved performance. It is, without question, the most innovative basketball training machine on the market. To learn more about Dr. Dish, log on to drdishbasketball.com or follow them on Twitter at drdishbball. Don't forget to mention Coaching You and receive $300 off on your next Dr. Dish purchase. That's right. Mention Coaching You or the podcast and get $300 off your Dr. Dish. Back with Coach Fred Hoiberg, University of Nebraska. I almost said Iowa State for it. Goodness gracious. Almost said Minnesota Timberwolves and everything else. But uh, one of the things that really was amazing when I would I would love to watch your teams play on TV at Iowa State, and the thing that I loved when you guys were playing at home, is there a home crowd in college basketball? I mean, it's like probably Duke or some of these places, the Hilton Coliseum. I mean, is that place amazing? Well, I, I think I think Hilton Coliseum truly is one of the most underrated uh, arenas in in basketball. And you know, I grew up in that environment. I, I actually was a ball boy, <laughs> and you know, I saw what Johnny Orr uh, did. Uh, you know, to really establish Iowa State as a national, uh, you know, prominent basketball program. And you know, to be able to sit underneath the basket and watch him fill the stands, and you know, again to see his personality and the style of play. He played a really fast uh, style with great pace. And, uh, you know, just to witness that and see the, the unbelievable wins knocking off top rated teams, uh, you know, and I wanted to be a part of that <clears throat> as a player. And, you know, I'm thankful I was. And, you know, I <clears throat> not only that, but to, to coach in that environment uh, as well, my first five years when I got into coaching. But, you know, I've been very fortunate. I, you know, now at Nebraska, we've got as good a home court advantage. And, you know, I remember talking to, you know, obviously I got to know when I was let go by Chicago, I spent a lot of time up in East Lansing and talking to Coach Izzo and, you know, what, traveled around the country as a lot of coaches do and really try to grow and learn and, you know, went out and spent some time with Steve Kerr out in Golden State and, uh, you know, some other great programs and coaches that I really respected. But, uh, you know, the one thing in talking to Coach Izzo, uh, once this job opened up, uh, he said, I'm telling you, there's not a better home court advantage in the big 10 than Nebraska. And, you know, again, we, we won seven games this year and there was not an empty seat in that arena. And it's a beautiful facility. It's one of the tops uh, in the country. So I've been very fortunate to coach in some great buildings and uh, you know, Iowa state, again, that that's always, you know, the, the, the place that I will consider home and Ames, 
you know, but to come back, you know, it's really life has come full circle for me yeah. and coming back to the place where I was born and, you know, to hear the stories and to talk to some of my grandfather's former players. I didn't <laughs> know my grandfather passed away when I was three years old. So, oh, wow. you know, to see his former players, I hired one of his players, grandsons to be my graduate assistant. Jeez. And, you know, to hear Jimmy Kabaki who hit the game winning shot, against Kansas, uh, against Will Chamberlain, he came to one of our practices and just to hear the stories and how, you know, as coaches, <clears throat> you know, I think our biggest job is, you know, to really help, uh, you know, shape these young men and, you know, to try to prepare them for whatever direction life takes them. And, you know, to hear that from my grandfather's former players on how we impacted these, these guys' lives uh, is really special. And, you know, it's been really cool, you know, to be at two universities that, that I consider very special. Fred, the, I haven't been there, but the practice facility I hear at Nebraska is as good as anywhere in the world, right? Oh, it's, it's, it's absolutely phenomenal. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a great weight room. Uh, you know, nutrition is such a big thing, uh, here and, you know, just, it's everything. It's, you know, it's all across the board. It's every sport, you know, you, you know, so much in Nebraska about football with their five national championships and the longest sellout streak. Uh, it's been sold out since 1962, uh, Memorial stadium with over 90,000, uh, 90,000 people. And, you know, but it's not only that, you look at volleyball and, you know, what John Cook has done here, uh, you know, been to the final four for the last five years, won two national championships in that span. And, you know, baseball sold out and just, again, all across the board uh, and the facilities are absolutely phenomenal, as good as any I've ever seen. That's, that's, that is so neat. And that's, that's, so, that's so helpful in your recruiting, you know, getting kids from around the country to want to come there. And when you put your staff together, you know, you you spent a few years back in the NBA. How'd you go about that? Because I think that's one of the most important thing at the collegiate level. It's totally different than the pro level. I think we both agree, uh, coaching staffs. Uh, but how did you go about that? Well, it it, it is probably as it's, it's as important as anything that we do. Uh, you, you know, when you look at this level, and when when I go back to my when I first got into this crazy business, uh, I felt it was very important to get somebody that had done it for a long time. And, you know, that person was Bobby Lutz for me. Uh, when I got into it at Iowa state and he had just been let go by Charlotte after 12 really, really successful seasons. I think he'd been in the postseason eight of those 12 years. Terrific. And, uh, you know, to be able to get him on my staff, he was, he was all set on taking the year off and I think he was going to do some television, but, uh, you know, we had Bobby and his wife, Janet, uh, come to Ames, uh, you know, I talked to him about how much of a role that he would have, especially as I really established myself, uh, you know, as a head coach. And I think that was very attractive to him. And he came and, and was unbelievable for me. I kept TJ Otzelberger on board. TJ is yeah. now the head coach at UNLV, uh, who was great. He was he worked for Coach McDermott and thought he did, did a terrific job. Uh, you know, and bringing some really high quality players uh, to Ames. Uh, Matt Abdelmasi is somebody that I hired as an intern uh, with the Timberwolves, and he kind of became my right hand. We hired him full time. Uh, he helped me with a lot of projects uh, in the league, and then uh, brought him on in a in a kind of special situ- uh, assistant role. And then he uh, really became uh, one of my top recruiters, and he's you know become one of the best recruiters in college basketball. Uh, Cornell Mann was, was, you know, another guy that now was at Missouri with, with Conzo Martin that, that was terrific and helped get Monte Morris there. He's having a great career, uh, in Denver. So, uh, it is, you want to get the guys there that have a great, 
uh, you know, mix of talents. And, you know, obviously recruiting is so important. Uh, the most important thing we do uh, in college basketball is getting the right players uh, in your program, uh, but also to be able to have a presence on the floor with, you know, skill development is so important and fundamentals and that type of thing. Uh, you know, so, you know, I've been very fortunate. And then Doc Sadler came on board with me uh, in Iowa State as well after he'd been at Kansas uh, for a season with Bill Self as uh, as director of operations. Uh, and then to bring Doc back here to Nebraska now, you know, where Doc was the head coach here uh, and, and such a popular figure, uh, you know, so to bring him back, I think Doc, uh, is an excellent, you know, one of the top defensive coaches. So uh, Armand Gates, I kept on and brought Matt Abdelmasi back with me. So I'm really pleased uh, with my staff. And then Bobby Lutz, who, again, my first hire, I brought him back in a special assistance role here okay. uh, in Nebraska. So I'm, I'm really pleased with my staff. Now, uh, Doc, I got to know when he was at uh, Southern Mississippi and uh, he's not just a hell of a coach, but he's a great guy. I mean, good guy. I mean, it's important in college. You spend so much time with your staff. At more than in the pros, not for the listeners that are out there that are at the high school level, uh, you know, you know, it's just their family, and you better be around people you enjoy being around. Well, and you have to have somebody that can make you smile and make you laugh. Yep. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's so many ups and downs and highs and lows in this business, and you got to have a guy that can put a smile on your face. Yep. And there, there's nobody better at that than Doc. Not it. That is that's phenomenal. Uh, let's go back uh, to when when you were doing a, a tremendous job at Iowa State, and the calling came from the Bulls to go back. What was your mindset? Uh, you just had amazingly successful years. What's the mindset when John Paxson and Gar Foreman, you know, talked to you about coming back? Yeah, it was it was really you know at the end of the day with you know being able to coach in my hometown and um you know it was a very tough decision brendan and you know i i talked it over a lot with with my you know the people that, that i trust and the people that have supported me uh my entire life and you know most of that being my family so uh you know it, the thing in this profession and again i'd spent 19 years uh, after my coaching in, in in chicago but you know 15 years of my life was in the nba and, you know, I think when you look at it and, uh, you know, you want to be at the height of your profession, uh, you know, I'd been offered, I think I'd turned down nine uh, other jobs uh, or the opportunity to interview uh, for some of those jobs. But I'd actually been offered a few of those uh, and to turn them down. And, you know, really, if the right situation came up, I was really seriously going to consider that. And that's what uh, I saw in Chicago, a place that I'd played. I, I spent four years as a player. Uh, in Chicago, uh, our twins, who are now juniors in high school, which is crazy to me, but they yep. were they were born uh, in Chicago, and uh, you know we had fa we had some family there. So, you know, after a lot of discussions, uh, you know, we decided to uh, uh, take the opportunity, and you know, I don't regret it for one minute. It was for uh, really good years, and uh, you know, for for me as a coach, and you know, we had some tough times, but I thought we had some good times as well. And, you know, the first year we, we led the league in a, in a category you don't want to lead the league in, and that was injuries. And you know how that is. If you have, especially, you know, we were 10 games over 500 in January and then Jimmy Butler goes down with an injury where he missed, uh, I think almost 20 games. 
Uh, and we had 10 rotation players that missed double digit games that year. Jeez. And that's tough. That's tough to recover from. And we missed the playoffs by a game, which was very disappointing. But, um, you know, it was a team that was supposed to finish, uh, you know, very high in the Eastern Conference standing. So that was a tough year. Uh, you know, the next year when we brought in uh, Rajon Rondo and Dwayne Wade, uh, you know, not many people projected us to be a playoff team. And we really clicked right at the end of that season and went on a great run to make the playoffs and had Boston down 2 nothing, uh on the road. We won the first two games against the one seed on the road. And then Rondo ended up breaking his thumb yep. uh, in that series. And he was our advantage. Uh, you know, he was so good in the playoffs. Obviously, he had championship experience. Uh, and when he went down, you know, that took away, you know, a guy that we put the ball in his hands to make plays. And he was phenomenal. Those first two games, he almost had triple doubles. Uh, you know, so we lose that piece and then we ended up losing four straight games. Uh, then we went to the rebuild and, um, you know, the trade was made. We brought in some really good, what I felt young talent, Lowry Markin had, had an incredible, yep. uh, rookie year for us. And, you know, that year, uh, you know, we had an altercation in training camp, which, you know, I, I never forget what happened with that, with, with two of our players and, you know, ended up with suspension and, and, you know, some, one of them had an injury that had to sit out, but, you know, when we got healthy that year, you know, with that rebuild, we had a six week span uh, in December and January where we had the second best record in the Eastern Conference behind Toronto, where, you know, Dwayne Casey, I think, was the coach of the year that year. So, you know, we had some some good moments. And then Chris Dunn, who was terrific. He was our closer during that stretch. Uh, we were playing Golden State at home. We were in a two-possession game, and he went up for a dunk, and he unfortunately lost balance and fell on his face and was out for six weeks with a concussion. So, you know, but, you know, I was really proud of that stretch and thought we did some really, really good things and some creative things, uh, you know, and then at the end of that, you know, when you're going through it, uh, you know, you start trying to play your younger players to see what you have for the future and, you know, trying to prepare yourself uh, you know, to put yourself in a good position in the draft. And, you know, that's where we got Wendell Carter. And then the next year we had a lot of injuries early on. And then I was let go uh, that December. So, you know, again, it's, it's very valuable years. They were very valuable, valuable years for me. And I'm very thankful uh, for the opportunity that I was given. And, you know, hopefully I can use that. And, and, you know, I'm obviously, I look back like all coaches that have been in that position. And if you've been in this profession long enough, it's probably happened. Yes, sir. <laughs> At least, to most, but, you know, you, you reflect and you think about things that you could have done better. Uh, you think about things that you really liked. And, you know, again, I, I studied a lot of different teams and I'm playing a little bit different system than I've ever played. And that's watching the Milwaukee Bucks and it's watching, uh, but the Boston Celtics and it's watching Denver and it's watching Brooklyn and this, the teams that, you know, you really admire that you felt were tough to guard. And then you try to put all those little nuances, uh, into your system, uh, you know, and try to put your, your team in the best position possible. So, uh, you know, I did, I did reflect a lot. It's very difficult. You know, it's the first time that had ever happened to me where I had been, uh, fired and, you know, you just try to do the best job you can and moving forward, uh, you know, and hopefully again, um, you know, our, our best days are ahead of us. Yeah. I, I, you touched on a shade earlier and, and again, I've been in their seat, uh, when that's happened, uh, and everyone reacts differently. Right. Uh, but, what did you do when it happened? Uh, and I think it was maybe after what, 20, about a third of the season, right? Roughly 25, 23, 25 games, right? When you got like, yeah. and so, so what did you guys do um, at that point? Or what did you do to now re-energize yourself? And, you know, you know, to stop feeling, let's say some people start feeling just sorry for themselves. They're a victim, et cetera. 
what did you do? And you're not like that at all. So what did you do to help in going forward? Yeah. Well, the, the first thing, you know, I'll, I'll never forget the day I was, I was fired on my wife's birthday. So <laughs> saved you to going uh, out to dinner that night. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. So we, Paige we, was we happy. Ordered, yeah. We, that was we great. ordered in that. Take out. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, the, the thing that I, to be honest with you, Brett, it was really, you know, those first, that first month was really hard. Yeah. And you know, I, I never, I never got to the point where I felt sorry for myself. I mean, I, believe me, I was, yeah. you know, so fortunate to be one of the, you know, guys that had one of 30 jobs in the best uh, league in the world. Uh, you know, so I had a great opportunity, you know, for almost four years, which, you know, not a lot of coaches at that level last That's right. uh, that long. But, um, you know, I, 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 again, I reflected back, I looked back and I would go to bed at night. My wife had just gotten one of those clocks that showed the time on the ceiling and I would sit there and I woke up at about the same time every night and I would look up there at about 227 I'd wake up and I would look at that thing in 228 and 229 oh. and I'd stay up till about you know four looking at that damn clock and I finally thought I said you gotta get rid of that I don't care how you tell your time but I cannot stare at that clock anymore and then you know I, I remember the guy that I talked to uh, that maybe helped me as much as any was Kevin McHale. And, wow. you know, I was very fortunate to play for Kevin. He was one of the best I ever played for. He was Great. so, you know, spacing plan and just, you know, how simple the game was for Kevin as a player. And, you know, he was a great teacher as well. But Kevin was let go, I think, after 10 games, I want to say, after reaching the Western Conference Finals in Houston. And, you know, yeah. he talked to me about some of the same things that I was going through. And he just said, finally, at some point he said, Freddie, he said, there's nothing you can do about this. He said, at the end of the day, you got to look back, you got to be thankful uh, for what you just went through and you get, you're going to be better because of it. And you just got to say, you know what, I'm going to move on from this thing. And that's what I needed to hear. So, yep. you know, I moved on, you know, my wife was doing this yoga class in a hot room with weights and cardio and i started going there with her and that it was more torture than yoga. but you know i'd do that and then i'd go sit around and have coffee with her friends and we'd talk about the real housewives or whatever <laughs> and then i'd go home and i'd you know sit in a robe and i'd do a puzzle and you know but i, I would call my friends you know some of them in the league that i developed good relationships with and just talk to them and say, how you doing? And they were miserable. And I just, you know, but you miss yep. that. You miss that as a coach. Yeah. And, you know, so again, I just, you know, started talking to coaches that I really admired and respected. And they all invited me to come out anytime. And I took advantage of that. I took advantage of that time. Uh, you know, thought about the next year that I, I think I could have been involved with some pretty high level jobs. Um, you know, a, a couple of those in the NBA. Uh, but what I felt the right opportunity, and I thought about maybe sitting out the year, Brendan, and you know, taking another year and maybe doing some TV or or some type of media, uh, and then getting back into it. But I really was attracted to this job at Nebraska, and I'm thankful uh, to be here. And uh, you know, I want to take this program to places where it's never been before. So you know, that's what you do. You really try to grow. Uh, you know, I watched a ton of film, I talked to a lot of people, and you know, hopefully that'll benefit. Uh, us moving forward you know uh, you mentioned earlier you went out and saw Steve Kerr uh, you know Steve is one of the really remarkable guys you know I got to coach against him for years as a player and then you know then he became a you know a GM and then you know and or first he, did he go first to TNT and then he became the GM I think you know but either way uh, you know when he was an announcer of TNT, he was a spectacular announcer. You know, he really saw the game in a great way. Uh, 
you know, and now when he went into coaching, it was like absolutely flawless. The guy was just terrific. He's a brilliant mind. He's got great personality. He's a, just a smart guy. Uh, and I really enjoy watching him, and, and he's so good at it. You went out and spent some time with him. What did you What did you see when you when you were with him? Yeah, well, I, first of all, I agree with everything you said. I, I you know, first of all, I played against Steve. Uh, you know, my first few years with the Pacers. Uh, you know, some of those incredible playoff series. Uh, you know, the, one of the most notable was we were playing Game Seven uh, at the United Center, and we were up by eighteen. We got up big early in that game. And, you know, one of the key plays, you know, Rick Smith, who was seven foot four, uh, had a jump ball against against Jordan. And, you know, I think we were up three with about two and a half to go. And Jordan goes up and wins the jump against the seven four guy and tips it to Kerr. Kerr hits the three to tie it. And then Michael took over down the stretch, as he always did. But, uh, you know, Steve was the guy that I admired, uh, you know, watching. He was a little bit older than I was. Yeah. Uh, you know, just the type of player that he became. But, you know, the thing that impressed me so much about Steve when he went into, uh, you know, first of all, he was an incredible uh, analyst on TV, did an, an awesome job on TNT, uh, called a couple of our NCAA games, um, you know, the year that we beat North right. Carolina, uh, get into the Sweet 16. And, you know, George Niang actually broke his foot uh, in the opening round. We were playing so well together. Uh, and we still beat North Carolina without him, but Steve was the one that, that did that game. And, you know, just to get the opportunity to talk to Steve and had dinner with him when he was playing in San Antonio. Uh, I was in Chicago, you know, went out to dinner with him a couple of times. Uh, you know, but the thing that was really impressive to me, they had just won the championship at uh, Golden State in his first year. And then I got into it with Chicago and uh, was able to go out to lunch with him at the summer league in Vegas. I went over to his hotel and sat and talked to him. Uh, just about all the things that he experienced as a first-time coach uh, in the NBA. And, you know, I don't even know if he remembers that, but I'll never forget it mm-hmm. for what I learned, uh, you know, from him and the things that he had talked to me about. And then, you know, when I was let go, my wife and I, you know, we were supposed to actually go out to the Phoenix Open. And, you know, we tried to take advantage of that time, too, and take sure. some vacations because I didn't know how long I'd be out of it. But, you know, that family time was so uh, – was just phenomenal uh, for us. And – you know, when I we were going to go to the Phoenix Open, that was the polar vortex going through the Midwest. It was like 25 below, and they canceled <laughs> all the flights. And we were going to go from there and go spend a couple of days up in Napa. And, you know, on the way there, we were going to stop, uh, you know, and see Golden State. So anyway, so I went there and talked to Steve. But the way that he manages the personalities is what, what I think is so impressive about what Steve does. Obviously, you know, the talent uh, that he has, but what he's done to put those guys in positions – to be successful and, you know, put Draymond in a playmaking role that, I mean, you know, it is Brent when, when you've got a guy in a front line that can make plays like a Draymond green, and then yeah. you've got to guard actions with Steph Curry and Clay Thompson on one side of the floor, you know, coming off a uh, action, they just put yourself a difficult, uh, put you in such a difficult position and the way they can read cuts. Uh, but the, the way he managed manages those personalities is what is so impressive. So to be able to sit, you know, talk more about that because, you know, that system is pretty good, but a lot of that's based on the players that he has. Not everybody can run what he runs because you don't have guys who can shoot it from 28 feet. (laughs) But, you know, talk to him about, you know, how he managed his day and what he did in his practices and, uh, you know, how he spent his time uh, on scouting reports and what he did in shoot-arounds. You know, those were the things that I was really curious about what he did. So to be able to spend that time with him was, was very valuable. Other coaches in the NBA. Here's my my take on it, having 
done both, you know, as 16 years in college and 30 plus in the NBA is that I find the NBA, I, I mean, obviously I love coaches in general, coaching you, but I love coaching and I want to help coaches. But the thing I, I find about is NBA coaches, many way, mo mo most of them are an open book and will share everything they do with you. Because they know you know what they're going to do, but they, they don't mind telling you because the secret is in, I got better players than you. Right. You know, if I have better players and they play hard that night and they play together, we're going to win. And if they don't, we're going to lose because the other team in the NBA, they, the other guys got great players also. But and but in college, we act like we have discovered, you know, the Tesla or the, the <laughs> next thing, Adam and NASA, and, and they don't do squat, you know, some of them. And, and but they act like they, they they've just I don't understand the thing or they want to keep secrets to each other and the ones that share the guys like Gizzo and, and stuff over the years Tommy's been great uh, you know I I just think that we're missing the boat at trying to help each other as college coaches yeah it, uh, I yeah I and you, you know, see I, the difference I, I don't I know you're not going to come out against college coaches yeah. I don't want that to happen <laughs> but I I think there's a distinct difference my opinion. Yeah, you know, I'll just talk about my experience with some of the NBA guys. I'll never forget this. We were playing San Antonio, and uh, we ended up getting – I think we lost by five or seven. And, you know, Pop came up to me after the game and said, man, you guys got a lot better shots than we did, but we have we have Marcus Aldridge. And, you don't. <laughs> and, you know, and, and Aldridge, I think, went for 40 uh, that game. And, you know, it's just uh, – but, yeah, you get that, that – you know, that honesty, um, you know, that type of thing. And, you know, pop is just, again, I think he's helped more people and you see what he does by inviting people to his training camps and his yeah. practices and that type of thing. And he's just such a special person, uh, in what he's done for the game. And, you know, now with USA basketball. So, you know, when you got a guy like that is, you know, as good as any in the world, you know, arguably one of the greatest coaches of all time, uh, you know, being able to open up and, and talk to people and share ideas and that type of thing, uh, you know, it, it is. And it's such a, you know this, Brenda, it's such a small fraternity in yeah. the NBA. And, you know, that people do, I think, you know, they, they really look out for each other. And, you know, they, they try to talk positive things when they, you know, you meet with the media you know, a hundred times a day <laughs> in the NBA. And, you know, you just hear coaches go out of their way to say positive things about the guy on the other sideline. Sure. And, you know, I, I, I'll say this about the, you know, the big 10 has great coaches and great personalities and, uh, you know, very quality people. And, you know, that was yep. one thing I noticed at the big 10 meetings was, you know, there were people that came up and, and offered advice about what the league is all about and, uh, you know, willing to help. And again, I had relationships with, with a lot of those guys uh, when I came into this league. And I, you know, it's the same thing was with the Big 12. I think Bill Self, you know, my daughter went to Kansas. She worked for Bill Self. That's and we were dropping her off and he was having one of his preseason practices. And I was coaching at Iowa State. He said, hey, stop by and watch our practice. <laughs> And I said, Bill, I'm not going to do that. I said, I appreciate the offer, but I'm not going to do that. But, you know, that shows you, you know, a guy like that who won, you know, I think at the time, 10 consecutive uh, conference championships to, to invite another coach in the league to watch his practice. That's, you know, that's, that's pretty impressive. That is very impressive, you know, but I, I've always felt that about him, you know. But he he's almost coming from that uh, with Larry Brown having, you know, coached with Larry, you know, and you know, RC and those guys, he has that mentality, I think a little bit, you know, of sharing, you know, and I, I, I just wish that all coaches would be like that because there are no secrets in this thing. It's just about it. The hardest thing I think um, in coaching is to coach 
great players. The easiest thing is to coach bad players because bad players will do everything you tell them. You're just not going to win. But, you know, but they'll do everything you tell them. The hard, the really talented guys, uh, the unique personalities are the most difficult. You know, it doesn't matter. All the guys that you played with, uh, I coached, uh, you can go down the list. That, But that's that's the challenging part is to do that. Now, you had, in Chicago, for instance, when you had Rondo, who might be on a genius level, one of the smartest point guards ever to play in the league, uh, Dwayne Wade, who's iconic, and then Jimmy Butler, who is so ridiculously talented, competitive, you know, but, you know, how do you, for coaches out there, tell what it's like to try to, you might, if you ever had one on your team, that would be phenomenal, but you had three on your team, how hard is that to coach, and how do you try to, how do you suggest to try to reach guys like that? Yeah, it, it, it is. It's 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 the single most important thing, and, <clears throat> you know, once you get your roster put together is, how do you manage that? And, you know, when you have especially three strong personalities, you know, I, I really enjoyed coaching that team. I mm-hmm. really did. And, you know, we had, we had a few issues. We had, uh, you know, a situation that came up to where, uh, you know, there had to be a, uh, it wasn't a suspension, but, uh, you know, we, there was a fine involved, uh, with a couple of things that came out, but I, I'll, I'll start with Rondo. I, I absolutely love coaching Rondo. He, he, he is so smart and uh, you know, he's a guy that comes in and he'll share ideas. And, you know, we went through some things to where, you know, we took Rajan out of the starting lineup uh, for a little bit. We took him out of the rotation for a little bit, but what he did at the end of that year, he was absolutely incredible. And, you know, we, we had uh, inserted uh, um, Miritich back into the starting lineup. And when we did that and we had a guy, Paul Zipser, who was from Germany and, you know, Zipser started Dwayne Wade got hurt uh, towards the end of that year. Uh, you know, everybody really played their roles to perfection. And, you know, Rondo was the playmaker. Jimmy was a guy that would put the ball in his hands a lot, run isolations for him. Uh, Zipser would run to the corners and make threes. And then Bobby Portis and Cristiano Felicio were guys that uh, both had really good uh, uh, rookie seasons. Uh, and then Robin Lopez was just our stabilizing force uh, in the middle. So, you know, we had guys that were, were very young, you know, I think we were one of five teams that had five first and second year players uh, in, in the rotation that year. And, you know, then you had the three veteran guys that were the heart and soul of the team. Um, but, you know, Rajon to me, you know, was a guy that really connected, especially with those younger players every day after practice, he would have a shooting game with Denzel Valentine and Bobby Portis hmm. and, uh, Isaiah Cannon. And, you know, he just took those young guys under his wing and they loved him and they respected him. And, uh, you know, he, you know, talked to me going into that Boston series and, you know, about running, uh, you know, kind of the push series that Milwaukee used to run under Jason Kidd, you know, playing for the elbow. Uh, and we put that in uh, in a series, I and mean, he was really the one that put it in. I mean, he he did a lot of things that you know showed some nuances of it, and we scored a lot of points, especially in those first couple games uh, on that play until until he got hurt. So, you know, he was terrific. I loved uh, coaching Rajan. Uh, you know, I feel very uh, fortunate to coach Dwayne Wade, and uh, you know, it was the first time uh, you know outside of Miami. And, you know, for him was coming home. He, he grew up in Chicago and, uh, you know, did a lot of great things in the community. 
uh, you know, but again, another guy that I learned a lot from, I mean, you have to, you have to learn from, uh, you know, especially your superstar players. I mean, this is a first ballot hall of famer, uh, you know, that won multiple championships. So, you know, to have a guy like that, uh, to come in there and again, uh, young guys are very fortunate when they get the opportunity, uh, to play, uh, with guys like that, especially as they're winding down their careers. I think, you know, Dwayne had one, one more year, maybe two more years after that before he ultimately retired, uh, and then Jimmy, you know, Jimmy's one of the great competitors uh, that I'd ever been around. You know, I'd say Kevin Garnett was probably the best mm-hmm. uh, that I ever played with. He was you know, a guy that's motor was never off, uh, but Jimmy wasn't far behind that. He was a guy that came in to work uh, every day. He had an unbelievable motor. Uh, you know, my first two years when we played, we were seven and one against Cleveland uh, and eight and zero against Toronto. And a lot of that's because Jimmy Butler could guard those superstar players, <laughs> whether it was LeBron or DeRozan. He could guard him one on one. You know, when you bring help against Cleveland, that's where they just pick you apart. And right. then LeBron's such a great passer. And then he got J.R. Smith and Kevin Love and Corver uh, out there in the perimeter. That's where they kill you. So if you have a guy, you know, LeBron may score 25, but he doesn't have 14 assists. <laughs> and, you know, we could do that with Jimmy. And, you know, he was a guy that could guard anybody in the league. And then he really developed that killer mentality late in games and, and closed a lot as well. But yeah, I, it is. You have to find a way to manage that. At the end of the year, everybody was so on the same page. I think we won 10 to 12 uh, at the end of that year to get into the playoffs. And like I said, we're playing as well as anybody, uh, especially in the Eastern Conference, uh, before Rondo went down with that injury. It's absolutely amazing. Let me just, now you have Gabriel Union and D. Wade as Nebraska Cornhusker fans, right? That's right. Yeah. Uh, Gabriel, you know, yeah. we met them um, when they came to town. Uh, we went out to dinner uh, that night and yeah, she talked about her love uh, for the Huskers. And, you know, that's where I talked about my connections and I grew up a diehard Nebraska football fan. Uh, you know, so that's where I found that they come back for a game uh, yeah. every year. They were back for the Ohio state game this, this past year. That's so neat. What's your uh, thoughts on uh, the transfer portal possibly changing to uh, immediate transfers? How do you think that affects the big 10 and college basketball in particular? Yeah, I, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's even, you know, it's, it's more now than it was, uh, when I was last in it, um, you know, over four years ago. And, um, you know, I think there's almost a thousand in the portal yeah. already. I, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll say this, Brendan, I, I think just to have it one way or another, just so it's consistent. Yes. Uh, you know, the waiver process, why do some guys get it and others don't when you feel that you may have a better case? You know, sure. we had, we thought we had a pretty good case last year for, a player and, and, he, and his waiver got denied. And then you see somebody else uh, in maybe, a you know, either in your league or uh, another power five league for us that gets a waiver that didn't have near the case. So I think to take that out of the process, uh, whatever they decide, whether you, you allow it or everybody sits, I think, I think you have to have some type of consistency. We said the, the post game handshake, line which you know will take on a new life you know with this thing there'll be more recruiting on that than there will be more bumps in there ever but but because of the you know the virus hopefully with one of the you know my dreaded things about college bowl will eliminate that post-game handshake line which i think is absurd yeah i think they'll probably go the nba route yeah i mean just wave at the other guys yeah I, (laughs) i appreciate uh you know you're you're such a great offensive mind what if you could change any rules about college game to make it better, uh, what are some thoughts? 
I, 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 I think the 24 second shot clock for one, I, I think that would be, um, that would be a chance. I'd, I'd certainly be in favor for it. Yep. Um, you know, I think, uh, being able to advance the ball in, in the last, whether there's one minute or two minutes, whatever it is, I think that would be a good rule change that just, that creates so much excitement. I think, yep. uh, late game situations, uh, you know, if you're down th- three with, under a second to go, you're, you're going to lose, you know, and, and if you can advance the ball, at least you're going to have an opportunity to get a shot up. Um, you know, I think that would be a good change. Uh, you know, I, I do like, you know, I know some people are against it, but moving the, moving the line back, I think, you know, one players will adjust to it. Uh, you know, I think the percentage went down by about a half a percent. Sure. Um, sure. but ultimately I do think that's going to help spacing, yeah, you know, with all the analytics out there now, teams are trying to eliminate those threes. And when you have to take a step closer to the player, uh, that's going to open up uh, more driving lanes. Yep. And, you know, I do like that. You know, I look at our shot profile this year. We actually led the Big Ten by a pretty wide margin in shots at the restricted area. And, wow. uh, you know, we didn't finish very well. But, you know, I like that because of, you know, I think some of that is you create with the three-point line, move back, uh, you know, we'll have the defender um, – you know, go towards those players a little bit to open up those driving lanes. So, you know, again, as you get better, you know, as we get finishers and uh, now you're creating help, now you're able to kick out. If you have proper spacing, you should be able to get an open three-point attempt. But, you know, that's what everything is right now, especially in the analytic game and coming from the NBA. You're really trying to create those uh, restricted area rim twos uh, or open uncontested threes. And, you know, that's that's what we tried to do in Nebraska in our shot profile actually uh, in year one was pretty good. We just need to finish better. No, I love that. That That's a great point. You know, one of the things that, uh, you know, I really get upset about in college ball is the five foul rule. Uh, because, you know, you, you know, you get one foul by your best player in the first 30 seconds of the game. Do you leave him in? And then a minute later he gets the second one. And then, you know, I just wish, and then God forbid the technical foul counting as a personal foul, whoever thought of that needs to, <laughs> needs to go home. I mean, I don't, I don't see the correlation there at all, but you know, why don't we have six fouls, you know, and just, you know, so as a coach, I got three for my guy each half, you know, type of thing, you know? Yeah, thing. I agree. You know, and, and I mean, the other thing about that, I mean, you know, it is, Brendan, in the NBA, they figure out a way to put it on the guy that's playing 10 minutes a game as opposed to the superstar. Thank you. And, and that doesn't happen. In college. <laughs> well, and rightfully so. I mean, I, you know, I can't tell you how many times, you know, I'd be by Garnett, he'd have two fouls and instantly I didn't touch, but I would raise my hand in a heartbeat <laughs> and, um, to try to get them. But, you know, the officials, they're so scrutinized now. And, you know, it's, it's a, such a tough job, Yep. Uh, you know, especially in the, in the NBA. I mean, every call is, uh, you know, they're graded on it and, you know, it just kind of takes the human element out of it, which, uh, you know, I, I know it is what it is right now with technology and every play, you know, you got video replay, but back in the day, I mean, you know, they, they just figured it out and I think exactly. it was better because of that. Yeah, I mean, you can remember all those games. You have a Dick Bavetta on the game or something, and yeah. all of a sudden, you raise your hand, Fred. <laughs> you know, you know exactly. that was not Reggie Miller. That was you. <laughs> you know, no, but, no doubt. And that was good. That was fine. Uh, but I, I just wish they would do that. Not for me, for the kids. You know, so yeah. the kids play. You know, and that's a thing. You know, we're in, we both love college football. You can hold 10 times a game, and 
you're fine. You stay in the game. Either your team gets penalized, you know, no big deal. But, you know, I, I just think, you know, it, it, it's such a it's such a great game. But, you know, college basketball is so lucky to have you back in it. And uh, and, and Nebraska basketball, boy, they're going to go places. And, and I really appreciate you doing this for the coaches out there. During this time, they need it. And, uh, and by you spending time with them, it, it's a big thrill. Well, I appreciate it, Brendan, and I'm, I'm glad we finally got to do – we've had this on a calendar three or four times and ultimately had to, for whatever reason, had to cancel. So I'm, I'm glad we got to finally uh, connect and, and do this and all the best to your family and, and everything, and uh, we'll always wish, always wish you the best. I appreciate it so much, Fred. Thank you. Okay. Fred is one of the best offensive coaches I've ever seen at the collegiate level, and he's brought some amazing innovations from the NBA to the college game. Uh, please – Go on Synergy, study him up, what he's done at Iowa State. And I'm telling you, watch Nebraska over the next several years. He is going to make a huge impact on that program. Uh, but, it, you know, I think, you know, I didn't get into it, but this is one of the most popular people. He's so popular that when he was playing at Iowa State, he actually had write-in votes to become mayor of Ames, Iowa, hence nicknamed the mayor. So a big thank you to Fred. Uh, and again, we look forward to serving you, uh, our listeners, uh, every week. And until next week, this is the coach, Brendan Sir.